All right, let's rock. Welcome to another podcast episode of MediaCast, our new series. MediaCast aims to explore the contemporary world of news broadcasting. While television has traditionally been the go-to source for news, recent research indicates a shift in viewer habits. Viewers today receive the news and sports from a multitude of options. How this all comes together to produce quality content and information is incredible. That is where media casting comes into play. Join us as we dive into the inner workings of the news and sports industries, featuring insights from leading talents and producers. We'll examine how news stations are evolving to disperse news across diverse platforms. In today's episode, we are privileged to have Mr. Tom Hart, a seasoned play-by-play commentator with a wealth of experience across various broadcast companies and sports affiliations. Join us to hear the latest topics regarding sports news, live broadcasting, and Tom's unique perspective on key questions shaping today's sports news landscape. Mr. Hart, welcome to this episode of MediaCast. How are you today? Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Yeah, so if you want to just share a little bit about yourself, like what you do. Sure. So I'm a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN and the SEC Network, a subsidiary of uh, ESPN. Um, Right now I'm in the midst of college basketball season. Uh, You caught me while I'm in the car driving from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa for a game tonight on ESPN2 between Florida and Alabama. Uh, I've been at ESPN for 12 years now. And in addition to college basketball, also work college football, college baseball, and a wide variety of other assignments uh, kind of as they come across. I've also in the past worked for Fox Sports, Fox Sports Radio, um, CBS Sports, and, um, you know, a couple of other stints when I first got out of school working in minor league baseball at three different stops um, on my way to the TV side of things. Yeah, that's really impressive, like your career. Yeah, so let's go straight into the questions. The first question is, what has been your favorite slash most memorable event that took place during your career in broadcasting so far? Well, it's hard to pick just one. Um, You can kind of go sport by sport probably and figure out, um, you know, which ones stand out. Um, On the radio side, I had a chance to call the Rose Bowl in 23, or 22, I guess it was, uh, between Ohio State and Utah. It's it's an incredible venue, and it's an incredible event. It's kind of one of a kind. Um, I I judge, you can't always know when you're getting a a good game or a close game. Um, So I'm a big fan of the venues as much as I am the events. And I've had the opportunity to work uh, Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park and Big House in Michigan and all of the SEC stadiums. Um, So that's usually that setting is really what gets you up to a good start in terms of a, a memorable event. And quite simply, there's, there's nothing like the Rose Bowl from the time of the day. They play it in, uh, they play at to the venue, they play in, um, and the national attention on it, it, it makes for a great event. Wow, that's really cool. Do you have like a favorite venue or place that you like to play at? Like Fenway Park, Yankee Stadium, any of those? Do, do any of them like stand out to you more than the others? 
Well, I'm, I'm partial to the historical ones that, you know, have been around for a while. You can kind of get a feel for the, the history of the, of the site. Um, so Fenway is right up there. I mean, it is an incredible venue and as for as old as it is, they've modernized it uh, to the extent that it, it doesn't, you know, it's not run down. It's not, it's not dumpy. Um, Cameron Indoor Stadium is a lot of fun. The the energy in that building is great. Uh, on the football side, I'm a big fan of Neyland Stadium in Knoxville and uh, Ohio State's home stadium. And, and usually what all these things have in common is uh, a fan base that really cares and brings great energy to the game. Uh, every every site, I like to say, if you, if you put a big game in any stadium or any arena, it's going to feel like a big game, you know, a top 10 matchup. Uh, to me, it's the ones that the atmosphere is electric, regardless of the stakes at hand, because uh, every game seems to matter to the fan bases that are really invested in their, in their program. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I really like your take on that. And then the next question is, how is present-day broadcasting commentating changed with the introduction of AI? Changed within uh, of AI? Yeah. AI starting to come into um, the scene of stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen the impact of AI yet. Um, I, I don't know what changes will come with that. Um, obviously, the possibilities are, are endless, but from a live game broadcast situation, um, there really hasn't been any impact on any of my games or any anything else in, in this side of the industry that I've noticed. Okay. That was kind of interesting because when I went to Atlanta News first, the broadcasting studio, they actually had a lot of stuff coming in with the introduction of AI. So they had these uh, new teleprompters that they'd use. And you would actually be able to go the per the anchors and the hosts would actually be able to move it up and down to their pace instead of it just being a steady pace all the way down. And they're using different techniques and stuff like that with AI starting to come into that scene. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not. Um, I mean, I appreciate the technological side of of everything we do, and uh, the technology is constantly shifting. But some of the the basics that you know you would notice as a viewer where technology is uh part of our game broadcast would be simple things like you know the first to ten line um the field goal line and these are really just i don't want to say rudimentary but they're pretty old technological advances where it's just you know a graphic superimposed now there's there's other cool things they do from uh, some of the 3d imaging um, the live tracking that they use in the NFL with next-gen stats. Um, but the game broadcasts as a whole have just kind of been, uh, you know, on their own and and unencumbered by the newest technology because I, I think viewers are creatures of habit. And um, you're trying to appeal to as, as wide an audience as possible. And while there might be a, a percentage that really wants the next-gen stats and all of the analytics and instantaneous, and they want it on the screen, um, the majority right now just want to watch the game um, and, and don't want to 
have to do much thinking or processing on their own. Um, maybe there's a way to do that to, to uh, you know, uh, appeal to that segment of, of the viewership or the fan base without distracting from the others. But I don't think they figured that part out yet. Okay. And then what is the process that goes into live sports commentating? Like what research do you have to do or what process goes into like when you're in the middle of an actual game also? Yeah, so it, it the, the time that is spent on it is relative to the, you know, to my, my work schedule basically. Like for example, during college basketball, I may have as many as four games in a week. So the game prep leading up to it is um, significantly less than during football season where I have one game a week. Uh, when there's one game a week, it might be 40 hours of prep before I even leave town to go to the game site. And, and that prep would be something as simple as watching previous games to um, compiling stats, reading stories, and then – all of that gets processed into um, very simple and basic game chart that uh, everybody has their own version, but it's it's essentially just a, a cheat sheet. Like if you think about it from a school perspective, every game is an open book test. So you, you have all the information available to you. You just have to lay it out in a manner in which it's easily and naturally accessible to you. Um, so that, that means filtering out the stuff that you don't need and boiling it down to um, my, 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 the size of my stuff is generally, you know, eight and a half by 14 inch chart um, for each team. And then there's stat programs and research uh, chats and, and all that other stuff going on at the same time. Um, and then once, once you're in game, it's a lot of, well, Immediately prior to the game, there's also a lot of communication and planning. Uh, it's not just the broadcasters or the producers, but an entire uh, television truck or studio working to enhance the broadcast with um, stats, graphics, tape elements, and things like that. Um, and generally, it's it's the announcer saying, "Okay, th this one matters to me. Prepare that, and when I call for it, we can we can run it." I I'm really simplifying there, but that's basically how it works. Oh, and I had a question. How do these um? How do they really like operate the graphics? Because like like again at A and F, part of the technology they're using is they would actually code the graphics to where at a specific time it would pop up on the screen, like an image or a different camera angle or something. Is it kind of the same thing that they use? No. I, well, there are some some machines, for lack of a better descriptor, that are that are same or model the same. Um, you know, from a user interface standpoint. Um, but wherever you are, you know, there's a difference between a live studio show where even though it's live, everything is planned versus a live game where uh, you, you may have an idea of what you think is going to happen, but you have to react to, the specifics of what is happening. So, for example, um, you know, you can't pre-build stats on Patrick Mahomes passing, and you can't plan to insert Patrick Mahomes uh, yardage with 
2.52 left in the first quarter. They may not even be on the field at that time. The defense may be on the field. Um, so it all has to be as close to real time as possible. And and a lot of that, some of that stuff is interfaced and literally is real time. Uh, and other things need to be built through the graphics um, program. And they're all, they, they vary in scope, but um, generally I think it's probably pretty user-friendly. If you, if you run graphics in a studio, you could probably run it during a game too. Okay, that makes sense. And then this is kind of a deep one, but what do you believe sets apart a good play-by-play commentator from a great one? And how do you strive to like embody those qualities in your own broadcasting? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, well, I think like any, any job, the people who are truly elite or great are, are both high performers and rise to the occasion in, in live stressful moments, but they're also consistent. Um, and what I mean by consistency is, you know, the best broadcasters, even through a three and a half hour live broadcast, don't misspeak. They don't trip over the words. They don't, uh, you know, misconjugate their verbs. Um, and then to the extent of the communication, even better ones have learned or have a knack for being direct communicators and saying something succinctly um, that gets the point across versus being a long talker, kind of like I am right now, just giving a long roundabout answer. Um, They're more direct. And then there's other elements involved. Um, You know, uh, the ability to to be a, a direct communicator, the knowledge of the, of the sport, the players, trends, the ability to identify important trends in game, um, the ability to what we call traffic cop by getting, you know, the other broadcasters involved and giving them space and room to be great at their job. Um, And there are certain other, you know, physical elements that you need to have a good voice. Um, and, And that can be subjective sometimes, you can't always say what a, what a great voice is, but I think we can all um, identify bad voices or annoying voices. Um, it's improved upon, but generally speaking, either you're able, either you have it or you don't, right? Okay, that makes sense. That was a good. That was an interesting take you kind of had on that. Then do you have any kind of game day rituals before broadcasting or do you do anything before you go out typically? No, I'm making sure everything I need in order. Um, you know, an event, I show up at the, at the game, I don't know, maybe two hours before. Um, that can vary based on, you know, little things, traffic or weather, uh, anticipating different roadblocks that may, may pop up. Um, and then communicating with the crew and getting everything organized so that when the game starts, I'm ready. There are some that have, you know, oh, I have to do my vocal exercises or I can't have dairy the day of the game or I need to make sure I, you know, yodel for 30 minutes before. I don't do any of that stuff. Like, I just... I'm I'm pretty pretty average Joe. I just show up and call the game basically. 
And you were and you kept talking about your crew. How many people would be like on a crew during a game? Yeah, so that varies too based on the size of the show, the equipment. Um, for a for a college football game with our crew, um, you know, probably seventy five, maybe a hundred. Um, if you're doing a, a lower level game or a simplified show, it might be um, twenty in total. And by crew, you're talking about not just the announcers, but the camera guys and gals. Yeah, the people and the, operating um, the cameras, the microphones, just stuff like that in general. Yeah, absolutely. So that a lot of behind the scenes uh, uh, jobs that, that most people don't even know about. I mean, like here's another quick example when you when you travel with a television truck, like a, a literal truck, which we don't always do these days. Um, but even the two truck drivers are part of the crew, right? Because they have to get the truck from site to site every week. Um, without them, we wouldn't have a show. So that's yeah. that's pretty basic, but probably forgotten about. And then this is the last question. I know you're a Missouri fan. So what has been your favorite memory on Missouri sports, like of all time? Oh, man. Um, gosh. Well, when I was a kid, they had really good basketball teams. Um, the 1994 team finished undefeated in conference play and cut down the nets the final game of the season. So as a – shoot, I don't – gosh, I was – I guess I was uh, – college freshman at the time. Um, so that was fun. Being, yeah, I was at, at the game for that one. There was another team a few years before that that did the same thing. And I was down on the floor, like just in awe of what they accomplished. Cause I was a, I was a big fan and I thought those players were larger than life. Um, I'm, when you work in the industry, I, I think you become a little bit less of a fan because you become more pragmatic um, and you know the de the definition of fan is is fanatic, right? So there's all these extremes, highs and lows, um, and you can't really react that same way as a broadcaster. And your senses get a little bit dulled when you're working, you know, three four games a week too. It's a, it, it's harder for them to stand out as being special. Okay, that makes sense. Do you think because of that, uh, your love for the game has changed, or is it still the same? You just, like, love basketball, what you do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's probably the same. The The focus changes a little bit in terms of, you know, my knowledge base and, and what I expect and what I see and what I process is, is different, I think, than the average fan. Um, it's interesting when you watch a game, I was at a bar for the – cotton bowl um and just watching with fans and the overreaction and it's, it's going to sound uh like a little hoity-toity but the the general ignorance of the game right like every flag that's thrown is a bs call against uh, quote unquote our team where in reality you know not every call is a bad call not every penalty or every whistle is is a bias against your team. Sometimes you just commit fouls. Um, 
But I think fans react so emotionally that they have a hard time seeing that. Yeah, I know what you mean, because I kind of have to deal with that same thing sometimes, especially with the Hawks games that I watch. But <laughs> yeah. And this is the last question, but um, how do you keep your kind of cool and keep like your insightfulness when commentating, even like emotionally charged moments in the game? Well, um, I think it depends on how you define that. It, it It's okay to – you want your energy to match the energy of the, of the building. You know, so if there's a big emotionally charged moment, you as a broadcaster should be emotional too. Um, that doesn't mean that you lose control or lose sight of, of you know, what your, what your job is, but – if you see a wow play uh, or an unbelievable play, you should react as such. Um, and, and that's the fun of it. You know, like I could go into a game where I, I really usually don't care who wins or loses, but a big moment or a crazy finish or, uh, you know, a taut game, that's a lot of fun for us as a crew. So I, I think that's okay to do. And then the, but the answer is, you know, you kind of rely on the habits you've already built um, to fall back on those habits if, if everything starts going sideways. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. That's kind of, that's kind of it for me. So thank you for your time. Okay. okay. And then, on, then thank you, Mr. Hart again. And then this kind of concludes. Okay. So let me and then I'm just going to do like an outro, if that's okay with you. Okay, cool. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Hart. This concludes our MediaCast podcast series. And then we'll look forward to inviting you back soon and signing off. All right. Thanks, Brian. Hey, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Good luck on your project. Thank you. Good luck on your game tonight. Okay. Thanks, bud. I'll see you.